Section four of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter one. This will be it, I think, sir, said Leonard, bringing the limousine to a halt at the head of a branching lane, thick set with lime and chestnut trees, between whose double wall of green one could catch a distant glimpse of the river, shining golden in the five o'clock light. Look see there's the signpost to the sleeping mermaid over to the left there anything pinned to it or hanging on it mr narkom spoke from the interior of the vehicle without making even the slightest movement toward alighting merely glancing at a few memoranda scribbled on the back of a card whose reverse bore the words taverne maladosique et des anges boulogne printed upon it in rather ornate script a bit of rag a scrap of newspaper a fowl's feather anything look sharp no sir not a thing of any sort that i can see from here shall i nip over and make sure yes only don't give away the fact that you are examining it in case there should be anybody on the lookout if you find the smallest thing even a carpet tack attached to the post get back into your seat at once and cut off townward as fast as you can make the car travel right you are sir said leonard and forthwith did as he had been bidden in less than ninety seconds however he was back with the word that the post surface was as smooth as your hand and not a thing of any sort attached to it from top to bottom narkom fetched a deep breath of relief at this news tucked the card into his pocket and got out immediately hang round the neighbourhood somewhere and keep your ears open in case i should have to give the signal sooner than i anticipate he said then twisted round on his heel turned into the tree-bordered lane and bore down in the direction of the river when still short by thirty yards or so of its flowered and willow-fringed brim he came upon a quaint little diamond-paned red-roofed low-eaved house set far back from the shore with a garden full of violets and primroses and flaunting crocuses in front of it and a tangle of blossoming things crowding what once had been a bower-bordered bowling-green in the rear queen anne for a ducat he commented as he looked at the place and took in every detail from the magpie in the old pointed-topped wicker cage hanging from a nail beside the doorway to the rudely carved figure of a mermaid over the jutting flower-filled diamond-paned window of the bar-parlour with its swinging sashes and its oak-beam sill shoulder-high from the green sweet-smelling earth how the dickens does he ferret out these places i wonder and what fool has put his money into a show like this in these days of advancement and enterprise buried away from the line of traffic ashore and shut in by trees from the river gad they can't do a pound's worth of business in a month at an out-of-the-way roost like this certainly they were not doing much of it that day for as he passed through the tap-room he caught a glimpse of the landlady dozing in a deep chair by the window and of the back of a by no means smartly dressed barmaid who might have been stone deaf for all notice she took of his entrance standing on a stool behind the bar dusting and polishing the woodwork of the shelves the door of the bar-parlour was open 
and through it narkom caught a glimpse of a bent-kneed stoop-shouldered doddering old man shuffling about filling match-boxes wiping ash-trays and carefully refolding the rumpled newspapers that lay on the centre table that he was not the proprietor merely a waiter the towel over his arm the shabby old dress-coat the baggy-kneed trousers would have been evidence enough without that added by the humble tasks he was performing poor devil and at his age said narkom to himself as he noted the pale hopeless-looking time-worn face and the shuffling time-bent body then moved by a sense of keen pity he walked into the room and spoke gently to him tea for two uncle at a quarter past five to the tick if you can manage it he said tossing the old man a shilling and say to the landlady that i'd like to have exclusive use of this room for an hour or two so she can charge the loss to my account if she has to turn any other customers away thank ye sir i'll attend to it at once sir replied the old fellow pocketing the coin and moving briskly away to give the order in another minute he was back again laying the cloth and setting out the dishes while narkom improved the time of waiting by straying round the room and looking at the old prints and cases of stuffed fishes that hung on the oak-panelled walls it still wanted a minute or so of being a quarter past five when the old man bore in the tea-tray itself and set it upon the waiting-table and little custom though the place enjoyed narkom could not but compliment it upon its promptness and the inviting quality of the viands served you may go he said to the waiter when the man at length bowed low and announced that all was ready then after a moment turning round and finding him still shuffling about i say you may go he reiterated a trifle sharply no don't take the cosy off the teapot leave it as it is the gentleman i am expecting has not arrived yet and look here will you have the goodness to let that cosy alone and to clear out when i tell you by james if you don't hello what the dickens was that that was undoubtedly the tingle of a handful of gravel against the panes of the window a sign that the coast is quite clear and that you have not been followed dear friend said a voice cleek's voice in reply shall we not sit down i'm famishing and as narkom turned round on his heel with the certainty that no one had entered the room since the door was closed and he himself before it the tea-cosy was whipped off by a hand that no longer shook the waiter's bent figure straightened his pale drawn features writhed blent settled into placid calmness and the thing was done by all that's wonderful cleek blurted out narkom delightedly and lurched toward him Shh, gently gently my friend he interposed putting up a warning hand it is true that dollops has signalled that there is no one in the vicinity likely to hear but although the maid is both deaf and dumb recollect that mrs condiment is neither and i have no more wish for her to discover my real calling than i ever had mrs condiment 
repeated narkom sinking his voice and speaking in a tone of agitation and amazement you don't mean to tell me that the old woman you employed as housekeeper when you lived in clarges street is here certainly she is the landlady her assistant is that same deaf and dumb maid of all work who worked with her at the old house and is sharing with her a sort of retirement here captain burbage set the pair of them up in business here two days after his departure from clarges street and pays them a monthly wage sufficient to make up for any lack of custom all that they are bound to do is to allow a pensioner of the captain's a poor old half-witted ex-waiter called joseph to come and go as he will and to gratify a whim for waiting upon people if he chooses to do so what's that no the captain does not live here he and his henchman dollops are supposed to be out of the country mrs condiment does not know where he lives nor will she ever be permitted to do so you may some day perhaps that is for the future to decide but not at present my dear friend it is too risky why risky old chap surely i can come and go in disguise as i did in the old days cleek we managed secret visits all right then remember yes i know but things have changed mr narkom you may disguise yourself as cleverly as you please but you can't disguise the red limousine it is known and it will be followed so until you can get another of a totally different colour and appearance i'll ring you up each morning at the yard and we can make our appointments over your private wire for the present we must take no great risks in the days that lie behind dear friend i had no tracker to guard against but margot no enemies but her paltry crew to reckon with and to outwit in these i have many they have brains these new foes they are rich they are desperate they are powerful and behind them is the implacable hate and the malignant hand of no matter you wouldn't understand i can make a devilish good guess then rapped in narkom a trifle testily his vanity a little hurt by that final suggestion and his mind harking back to the brief enlightening conversation between margot and count valdemar that night on the spray-swept deck of the channel packet behind them is the implacable hate and the malignant hand of the king of mauravania what utter rubbish cleek's jeering laughter fairly stung it was so full of pitying derision my friend have you taken to reading penny novelettes of late a thief-taker and a monarch an ex-criminal and a king i should have given you credit for more common sense it was the king of mauravania's equerry who directed that attempt to kill you by blowing up the house in clarges street very possibly but that does not incriminate his royal master count valdemar is not only equerry to king ulrich of mauravania but is also nephew to its ex-prime minister the gentleman who is doing fifteen years energetic labour for the british government as a result of that attempt to trap me with his witless silver snare 
Oh, said Narkom, considerably crestfallen, then grasped at yet another straw with sudden breathless eagerness. But even then the head of the Mauravanian government must have had some reason for wishing to wipe you out, he added earnestly. There could be no question of avenging an uncle's overthrow at that time. Cleek, his voice running thin and eager, his hand shutting suddenly upon his famous ally's arm. Cleek, trust me. Won't you? Can't you? As God hears me, old chap, I'll respect it. Who are you? What are you, man? Cleek, he made answer, calmly drawing out a chair and taking his seat at the table. Cleek of Scotland Yard, Cleek of the Forty Faces, which you will. Who should know that better than you, whose helping hand has made me what I am? Yes, but before, Cleek, what were you, who were you in the days before? The Vanishing Cracksman. A dog who would have gone on, no doubt, to a dog's end, but for your kind hand and the dear eyes of Ailsa Lorne. Now, give me my tea. I'm famishing. And after that we'll talk of this new riddle that needs unriddling for the honour of the yard. Yes, thanks. Two lumps and just a mere dash of milk. Cad, it's good to be back in England, dear friend. It's good, it's good. End of section four.